I'm Harold Kim. It's a joy to study, to prepare, and to share God's word with you. It's going to come from John chapter 17, verses 13 to 19. This is the prayer of Jesus as we continue in Gospel of John sermon series. So let's give our attention to this. I'll read it for us as Jesus prayed this, verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, all believers, all disciples of Jesus, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And I, for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Okay, the very prayer of Jesus. Jesus here prayed that just as he was sent, all of God's people, his people, his church, is also sent into the world to accomplish a mission. Jesus was sent to accomplish a mission for the world. Now he turns around and prays, and today he's going to train us, shape us, how he sends his people, the church, to accomplish his mission for all the world. He sends us with prayers, thank God. He sends us with the most marvelous promises. In Matthew chapter 28, he actually sends us with himself, his own person. So he gives us promises, he gives us prayers, he gives us himself in person. Today, our focus is going to be he teaches us a certain posture. Today, there's a certain posture that all the people of Jesus Christ have to assume we have to learn. What is your posture in this world? What is the posture supposed to be for Christians in this world? And Jesus says, the only way you're going to get this posture, assume it, is you have to be sanctified that's a summary word, and sanctification is only going to happen through his word. Your word is truth. And that is happening right now. Every time you hear and receive the word of God, it has infinite power to cleanse, detox, and make you new, shape you new. And so as Jesus says, I send now sanctified people into the world, he unpacks it. He gives us a twofold description. What exactly does a sanctified person, what does a sanctified posture really look like? Here it is. Verses 14 and 16, on the one hand, sanctified people are not of this world. On the other hand, verses 15 and 18, sanctified people are sent into this world. What's your posture? What is the posture of Christian people supposed to be like? to effectively fulfill his mission for the world, we have to be on the one end, not of, and at the same time, sent into. Not of and into the world. Let's consider what it means to be not of this world. Not of this world. Well, Jesus came from out of this world. Jesus came from out of this world into our world. 
And then the scriptures in John chapter one talks about how he makes certain people born again. And you are basically born again then from out of this world. And so you belong to someone out of this world. Your DNA is from someone out of this world. Your behavior and your desires have been reprogrammed to be not of this world. And so anyone who begins to believe in Jesus Christ, you start to belong to Jesus Christ. And if you believe and belong to Jesus Christ, you cannot help it. You cannot help it. You will become more like Jesus Christ, who is not of this world. An apostle by the name of James, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Apostle by the name of James, it's a book right after Hebrews. In chapter 1, verse 27, here's what he says would be not of this world. It'd be outstanding because the world doesn't operate like this. Here's what he wrote. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Here's what's outstanding to the world. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. People who are not of this world look after the people that the world neglects. People who are not of this world have compassion and mercy for the people that we forget. People not of this world are doing things that are unnatural to this world. Social justice, social compassion, even at a price to you. At the same time, James says, you're all about social justice and social compassion, but you also maintain spiritually pure. This is the kind of people who are not of this world. James chapter four, verse four, here he declares, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, James is certainly not saying you should have no friends in this world. He's talking about you have become so much like the world, a friend of its systems and values and ideas and thoughts, that you are no different from the world. And James says, if you are no different from the world, you are friendly with the world, you are, he says what? An enemy of God. You cannot be a friend of this world and a friend of God because God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are not of this world. Now, I know that there are immediate objections and stereotypes. Even some Christian people in this room, you don't want to be the not of this world type. And if you're not a believer yet, you've got some pretty popular stereotypes of what not of the world Christian people are like. First, you might assume, you know, these not of types, they have no sense of humor. No sense of humor. They're too serious. They over-spiritualize everything. They're easily offended. They get angry. They take everything personally. They're always moody or offended. This is a popular image of really spiritual religious types that you've got no sense of humor. But, you know, if you're a Christian person and you really can't laugh at yourself, Christian people actually should be able to laugh at themselves the most. Here's why. Because otherwise it would betray our gospel. You know our gospel, the good news that saves all of us? It basically says that Jesus had to come and live and die for complete jokers. I mean, the gospel starts to shed right away the ultra seriousness that people have about themselves, where they start to take everything personally. Jesus came to die for complete jokes. 
So not of the world does not mean you don't have a sense of humor. Another very popular, popular misconception, and I know it's been betrayed, is that not of the world type, the holy types, if you get around them too close, they're gonna have a holier than thou attitude. In other words, Christian people lack humility. Not only do they not have a sense of humor, but they lack humility. Now, my friends, I really don't understand that one. I will concede to you that there are a lot of religious folks who do lack humility. But I'll tell you something here. They don't just lack humility. They lack the gospel. Because you know what the gospel says. And if you really believe the gospel, I just don't understand how you can lack humility. The gospel says that Jesus had to live and die 100% as a substitute to do work I could never do to save myself. And so if he had to come and live and die for a wretch, a sinner like me, I don't know how Christian people can turn around then and think and speak or act or smell or feel in any way that you're better than anybody else. You see, spiritual people who lack humility, it's not that you just lack humility, you lack the gospel. Because the gospel right away should bring that back an incredible sense of humor and it should bring back total humility because there is nobody else worse off than you. Otherwise, why would Jesus have to die for you? You know, people today, one of their greatest turnoffs about coming to Jesus Christ. You know the problem with people coming to Jesus Christ is that they don't want to become like Christian people who follow Jesus Christ. And this is where we fail as being not of this world types. People will not likely notice or be very interested or struck by a Bible-believing, Jesus-worshipping, Jesus-following, Jesus-professing person if they look at you and take a careful look at you and say, but you're just like everybody else. Did you know there's a controversy about Dr. Atkins, that Dr. Atkins, the one who came up with the diet plan? I don't know if you ever tried the Atkins diet. I don't recommend it now after you hear the rest of the story. The controversy is that how he died, he died from a heart attack supposedly. And on one side of the fence, people say he died because of his own diet plan. He had a heart attack because of his own diet plan. Other people say he died because he couldn't keep up his own diet plan. Hey, friend, either way, it doesn't matter to me. You can't really recommend a diet plan if you die. You should not do that program if it makes you sicker. You should not try something out if in your view it makes you less joyful. It makes you more angry. It makes you more cynical. It makes you more hypocritical. It makes you more insincere. Not of this world, one of the greatest turnoffs is Christian people posit and urge, please come follow this Jesus, but then they're saying, but I don't want to follow you. Oh, but how Jesus prayed that for people to truly come to Christ, first and foremost, people of Christ have to not be of this world. 
Do you want to know why Christians are indifferent or ineffective? We're like barely making a dent, especially in postmodern Western society. Do you know why Christian churches barely make a dent? We're imbalanced. It's one or the other. We're too much not of or we're too much into. We're going to get to that. But to the degree that we get this posture right, the sanctified posture, we fulfill what Jesus prayed for all of his people. You have got to be both and, not just one or the other. On the one hand, be not of. Do not compromise. Do not be seduced. Do not be like everybody else. But at the same time, you have to be sent into the world. That's the balance. You know, Christian people, unfortunately, are known to quickly and easily blast away at other people's sins. Especially sins that take place in hotels or in Hollywood or in the White House. You know, Christian people should pay a lot more attention to not just blasting the sins at the White House or in hotels or in Hollywood. We should really pay attention to the sins in the house of God. Just right here in our own house or in my own home. Because the popular perception of Christian people is, is we're after the same things the world is after. We, have, we want the same things. Fame. Power. Money. Glory. Self-help therapy. That's our gospel. And when the world begins to see this selectiveness, this, 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 this hypocrisy, it's really, really hard to want to come and believe the Jesus that you say have changed your life. People have to look at Christians in the church and see something distinctive, something attractive, something out of this world, or else why would they want to believe? The world really longs for more than sermons. The world really needs more than special programs. The world really needs to be up and close with sanctified people. And are we more sanctified than what the world can produce? Are we more forgiving? Are we more self-controlled? When we fall, when we go through a scandal, is, is there a tremendous hope and resiliency? You just keep getting back up again and again and again and again. Like, why do you keep getting back up? Because you believe in a Jesus who got back, who got back up for you. Are we more embracing? Are we more easygoing? Are we actually enjoyable or pleasant to be around? A not of this world means that there's a pursuit of integrity and excellence in all that we do with a sense of humor and humility. And our marriages and our families at the bank, at the school, at PTA, and on the soccer field shows that there is something different. One of my favorite verses is actually chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus promised this right before he prayed this in John chapter 17. John chapter 16, verse 33, he promised this. I have said these things to you, all of his believers, that in me you may have peace. You may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you know how much the world is longing and dying for a sense of supernatural abiding peace? 
Well, my friends, are Christian people sanctified? Are we more at peace? On the one hand, Jesus prays for and he sanctifies us now through his word to not be of this world. On the other hand, verse 18, as he has been sent, he sends you and I into the world. Jesus never prayed for you to escape the world, avoid the world, run away from the world, just hate on the world. No, he actually prayed and sends us right into it. Moses and Elijah and Jonah and prophets and pastors, including myself, have at one time or another requested upon God, please come back right now, take me out of this world, and not once has God answered that request. Sometimes there are whole spiritual movements away from something that's big and public and city and dirty to let's go something smaller and more comfortable and private and more safe and suburban and clean. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. No, not at all. Oh, we're a very suburban crowd. All I'm asking is, do you ever ask the question, be careful, are you and I seeking to do exactly what Jesus prayed against? You know what Jesus prayed against? He prayed against that you and I would run from the world. Because on the one hand, we got to be not of the world, but, but, but then who is going to reach and talk to people in the world? We are sent into it at the same time. So what does it mean to be sent into the world? On the surface level, it means engagement, not isolation. To be sent into means you move closer and closer, not further away. The church of Jesus Christ has to recover more worldly Christians in the best sense of that word. The church of Jesus Christ has to recover more worldly Christians in the best sense of that word. I've got two applications of this, or two realms to which Jesus sends us. Sent into what? Two applications. First, Jesus in the scriptures makes it clear that Christian people are sent to serve. We are sent to serve at your work, if you're in between work, in your unemployment, or if you're a student, at school. Jesus sends his people to serve at your workplace or wherever you are unemployed or at school. This Friday you heard we're celebrating the sixth anniversary all by the faithfulness of God over at Artesia. You don't want to miss it, especially the story of grace by Hong Park that she has prepared, declaring how great and magnificent God's grace is no matter what you have been through. But as we do the sixth anniversary of our church, there's something actually bigger and greater. And it's intentional that the birthday of Christ Central happens to land on this weekend. It also happens to be Reformation weekend, that historic event with Martin Luther. And this year marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So I figure it would do us well a little bit, just even historically, to get a little dosage of Martin Luther. Martin Luther himself, the theologian who posted the 95 Theses, he was asked this question one time, Martin, I don't know if they called him Martin, or Dr. Luther, what would you do if you knew Jesus were to come back? Like soon. Just stop and think about it. If you were asked that question, pastor, small group leader, elder, what would you do if you knew Jesus, Jesus Christ was going to come back tomorrow? I bet most of us here would come up with some crazy spiritual sounding answer. That, that answer that you never do on a daily basis but you just do it if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow. Here's what Martin Luther said. I would plant a tree. 
When he was asked, what would you do before the return of Christ? He answered, I would plant a tree. When a shoemaker came out to him and said, Martin, again, I don't know if he said Martin, what should I do now, now that I became a Christian? You see, I make shoes, but now I've become a Christian shoemaker. What should I do? Here's what Martin Luther replied. Make a fine shoe and sell it at a fair price. You see, all work, legitimate work, is God's work. It's work for the world to enjoy and to benefit from. We are here to serve. In the sciences, in creative arts, in technology, in human resources, in education, in volunteer help. Whatever it is, do it and do what you are and do it all out before a watching world because this is precisely how Jesus accomplishes his mission through his people for all the world to see and wonder why. All legitimate work to serve the world and do it well is God's work. Tom Rayner, in a book entitled Surprising Insights of the Unreached. So here's us some insights for our not yet believing friends and neighbors. He said, seven out of ten people will never come to believe in the gospel without first seeing deeds of the gospel. Seven out of ten, especially here in the West will not be provoked to be interested in what you believe unless they see what you do. You see? Is your work, is your work quality work? Is that a mighty fine shoe at a great fair price? Is it honest or quality work? And you know what the world will be blown away by? Not only do you do your work well, but with all the quote-unquote leftover time and resources you got, that you spend it in mercy and compassion for, again, those who would be most neglected, not noticed, and not helped in today's world. When Jesus prayed, not of the world, but also into the world, into the world, that means you are sent into the world to serve at work and at school. Here's a second application. You are sent to love in all of your relationships. Maybe the most important. Why do you think you run into that person? Are you still a random chance person? Is that really, you, you believe in random chance? Christians don't believe in random chance. We're not fatalists either, where decisions and choices don't matter. We're neither. We're not fatalists, and we're not random chaos chance people either. We believe in sovereignty and our freedom of will. Why do you think you work with that person? Why do you think that person became your roommate? Why do you think you keep seeing that parent out on the side? Why? Why do you think this is? Jesus sends his people to touch and love people in relationships. Last weekend was a special thrill on my heart. I got to speak at a thing called a revival worship service. It was right in the campus of University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, U of I, fighting Illini. Any of you here? That's what I thought. No one goes there. Mighty giant school, though. They complain their sports is no good, but it's a great school. And the most thrilling part 
about this, speaking to that audience, was not the number of people who came or even maybe the number of people who came up or respond. You know what I found out? 30% of this revival, 30%, they had the statistics, were non-believers. That's hundreds of people who showed up. Non-believers came to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a total game changer on a church, the vibe, the mood, people's receptivity and their teachability, their hunger. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's one of my greatest thrills in life. But here's the question I'm wrestling with. I do not bring this up if you're bracing yourself. Oh, oof, here comes the guilt trip. Here it comes. No, it's not. Because here's the question I'm wrestling with you. That is a ministry on a college campus with college students who have roommates and students who could just walk across the street and come and hear the gospel. It's at a certain life stage where you don't have these things called spouses and kids. It's at a certain energy level where you still all have your brain cells left. And what does it look like now to reach non-believers after a certain life stage, after you don't live with people literally on a campus, what does that look like? What does that look like? You know, it's been very, very purposeful. It's been very prayerful. And it's been very careful that we've been casting out this vision. The vision for our church is what? It's not been a thousand more. It's not even 10 more. It's just one more. It's just one more. Uno más. Hana do. Noc eins. Just one more. Can Jesus use you? And has he sent you? to love one more in relationship. That's our vision. Our mission, how we accomplish that vision, our mission is right here. How? Sanctified people. You have to be not of and yet into the world. I get a little restless. I am that type. If you haven't noticed by now, I'm emotional and get moody and bored sometimes. And so... Yeah, it's not often, but a few times I just randomly go to Cerritos Mall, go to Cerritos Town Center, and just look for any random person who might be open to talking with me, and it's a weird enjoyment that I get to talk about Jesus with someone. They're not my friends. They're total strangers. And then every time I come on Sundays or other days on Lyft, Lyft, Oh, they're mine. They're all mine. They have nowhere else to go. They asked me, where am I taking to Valencia High School on Sunday morning? Oh, it's a church. Boom, it's on. <laughs> 20 minutes, they can't go anywhere. I just talk to them, I talk to them, I talk to them. On the plane, if I'm in the right mood. I don't do it all the time, but if I'm in the right mood. If I'm not watching a good movie or reading Sports Illustrated. If I'm in the right mood, I'll talk to them. But you know, it's hard. Doing that is really, really hard. It feels a little forced. And I'll tell you the return rate, the success rate on that is very low. But it does not mean we shouldn't do it. But I'll tell you something that couldn't be easier, that couldn't be more effective, and that couldn't be more natural. Is if you have a genuine friendship with someone 
who has yet to believe and you really love that person. When you love that person in that relationship, what you love most has to come out. In a genuine friendship, if you are sent to love just one more in a relationship, a deep, genuine friendship, who and what you love most, it is gonna become crystal clear. This is why Christ Central as a church aims to keep everything pretty simple. We have Sunday worship services, which is the engine, it's the centerpiece. This is from which the vine and you know feeds all the branches. But you know, all the branches, you're sent right back out into the world. Along with Sunday services, we got these things called small groups. It is an essential part of you being part of our church. But aside from that, we try to keep it simple. I'll tell you why we don't have a lot of programs, why we don't have too many things. Because we really believe you being sent into the world, into your work place and school and loving on people in your relationships is just as important what you do here so Jesus prays for deeply engaged people with the world who are yet radically different but in no way seduced people who are too much not of the world are afraid and disdainful of this world their attitude is I hate it I hate it they're disgusting they're filthy, they're foul, but you don't look at the own filth in your own heart. I hate it, get them away from me. On the other hand, people who are too into the world are just absolutely immersed in it and their attitude is, I love it. I, lo I can't wait to get out of church for that weekend. People not of the world avoid contact with non-believers. People too into the world can't stand contact with believers. If you're only the not of type, people don't want to come to Christ because of you. If you're too into the world, people are utterly surprised you are a Christian. None of us get this stance quite right, do we? Which explains the indifference and ineffectiveness. We either under-adapt or over-adapt, we become conceited and safe and comfortable, or we just sell out and compromise. But do you know what's at stake in getting this posture right? My friend, church, hear me out. Those of you who do believe in worship Christ today, do you know what's at stake for you and I to really be balanced of not of and into the world? I'll tell you what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. The gospel of Jesus is at stake. Because no matter how much content you and I have in our head, no matter how much you know that this is true and right, if it is never clear, and if it's never compelling, that content just stays and dies with me. What's at stake is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how much you think it's clear to you, has to be clearly communicated and shown to people who don't, who don't believe. And that gospel has to be contextualized and communicated in such a way that it is relevant and compelling. The one, same, true, ancient, unchanging gospel for our completely current changing people in times. But take heart, take heart, getting this sanctified posture right, getting sanctified does not come from you and me, it comes from Jesus. 
And it constantly comes from him when you take all your cues from him and you really listen and meditate on his word. And as you are sent to serve the world in your work and school, and you are sent to love people in relationships, the most important part. See, I'll tell you, if you really fall in love with somebody who has yet to believe, you will all of a sudden become very, very brilliant and insightful, and you will contextualize the gospel very effectively. That's the bottom line. If you fall in love with somebody and you start to rack your head and pray, how do I make this content clear and compelling? God will show you how. You know, in general, our Western culture accepts and celebrates individuality, does it not? Freedom of choice and notions of love of God and grace of God are not only accepted, I think it's expected. The things that our culture rejects, though, hates is sin, exclusivity, this is the only way, and divine judgment. That's our current Western culture, is it not? Freedom, individuality, loving grace. So how do we show and communicate that gospel to a world that rejects sin and judgment and just only likes about loving grace? Well, yeah, you start with this is what C.S. Lewis did. Yes, you're right. God is loving. God is loving. No one's going to argue with that. They're like, yes, that's my kind of religion. God is loving. God is loving. And you just start to try, try to just kind of tease that out and say, hey, are you in a little relationship where you love someone or someone has ever loved you? No, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, can I ask you a question? Do you really think that other person really loves you? Say, like, yeah, of course. Does that person who really loves you ever tell you something that's wrong? Yeah, actually they do. Does that person who really loves you ever get jealous? Yeah. Does that person who really loves you ever get angry? Does that person who really loves you want to be exclusive with you? Does that person who really loves you can't bear it when they know you're doing something to hurt yourself? You see, what C.S. Lewis did was with our Western culture, they, we, uh, we readily celebrate and accept love and grace, but we don't like judgment or anger or jealousy or wrath. You see, but you just take that doctrine and you take them to the other biblical doctrine to show that both come together. Now, you see, in most Eastern cultures, most, the sin and judgment part is not the hard part. That's assumed. That is accepted. Do you know what the hard part is? The actual grace and love of God. And I have really found that to be true in my own heart and with largely our audience at our church. In a lot of Eastern cultures, the impossible part to believe is not that God is wrathful and he's going to judge and that we're sinful. The hard part is that God could actually love and be gracious. So, you know, in the mid-20th century in Korea, a Western missionary had been trying so hard to tell prostitutes and to show prostitutes in Korea that God's love and grace is unconditional. But their shame and their self-loathing was way too great. It never registered. A Western missionary wanted to share the gospel as he would in the West, but he was in the East and he's with working prostitutes in mid-20th century, mid century Korea. 
Never registered. So the missionary came up with a radical idea. Said, you know, I'm going to start talking about the gospel through the doctrine of predestination. And so he did. So he told the prostitutes of how God is like a king and how as a king, he has the absolute sovereign right to do whatever he wants. That's what kings do. That's what kings still do. And this king chose some people out of the human race to serve him because it is simply his royal will to do so. Therefore, it started to register to the prostitutes that, huh, people are chosen, people are noticed, people are favored, people can be saved by the king because of his royal will. And not because of the quality of morality or performance of their lives. This made sense to them. They had zero problems with authority figures doing something like this. But this also meant that for people to be loved and chosen and selected by God as a king, again, it has nothing to do with our lineage, our pedigree, our virtue, our efforts, or our zeal. Their acceptance of a doctrine like predestination opened up the possibility of understanding and accepting God saves us by sheer grace. And then they asked the Western missionary a question that I tell you is rarely, rarely asked today. Except back in the 90s on college campuses filled with very bright Asian American students, I've hardly ever heard this question since. Pastor, how can I know if I'm chosen? To the Western ear, they, what a ludicrous outrage. How can I know if I'm chosen? I have freedom. Eastern years, Eastern culture, how can I know if I'm chosen? Why would he choose me? Why would he love me? And the missionary answered, if you hear the gospel, that Jesus lived and died and rose again to cover over all, all your shame, all your sins, past, present, future, wipe the whole slate clean and give you his own slate. And he makes you new and beloved of God. If you hear this gospel and you like it, you're interested in it, you want to believe in Jesus, your heart is moved to it, this is a sure sign that the Holy Spirit is working on you and God is choosing and speaking to you right now. And it worked. It worked. Are you effective for Jesus Christ? This is way more than about programs or sermons or money. Are you effective for Jesus? Are you fulfilling your God-given mission of one more? Are you a sanctified person? Not of and into? Well, I'll tell you, my friend, you know, the more conscious and the more anxious you get about, oh, I need to be more effective, I need to be more effective as a missionary, the less you will be. It's called performance anxiety. The more conscientious you are, oh, am I an effective missionary for Christ? And you don't pay attention to Christ, the less effective you're going to be for Christ. You know what Jesus said? He didn't say, hey, just go get people. Go get them. Go fish them. No, he always said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. And this is why I love Jesus over and over and over and over again. And I don't love him enough, not even close. Jesus Christ is the only guy out there who has job listings for totally ineffective people. 
Jesus Christ builds a church with people who are ineffective. But he is so effective with you. His gospel says he will love you even if you don't love him. He will favor and bless you even if you're not a blessing to other people. That's what the gospel says. So the gospel means you don't have to try hard, fake it, force it, prove it, perform anything for God to love and choose you. And when you really get this, stay with me, my friends. If and when you really get this gospel, that out of his royal, sovereign, gracious will, he could choose to love and serve you, you will automatically be nothing like this world, but you're still sent into it to love and serve people the way that Christ loves and serves you. The world needs most a kind of not of people who operate from out of this world. And yet, a kind of people who love and serve the way that Christ loves and serves you, even if you're ineffective. When you get it, when you and I get that, that's how he fulfills his mission.